Hello and welcome to How I Write, a podcast from the California State University San Bernardino Writing Intensive Program. I'm Tom Gershon, and my guest today is George Romero. George is a master's student in English and Writing Studies here at CSUSB with concentrations in public and professional writing and applied linguistics. And he's also a member of the Phi Kappa Phi Honor Society. And most importantly for us, he's the new host of How I Write. Welcome, George. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate the warm welcome. Absolutely. One of the things that strikes me right away about your background, you have a really interesting and exciting educational background. You've been in a lot of places. You've studied in a lot of places. Chicago, LA, sometime in, on the East Coast too, right? Chicago is a great place. That was where I was born and raised. I always wanted to see what was beyond Chicago. So from Chicago, I first started off at University of Michigan for a year and a half. I thought I wanted a Big Ten school experience, but that actually proved not to be the best environment for me. Mm-hmm. So from Michigan, I went to Connecticut, where I got my degree at Wesleyan University. And then after Wesleyan, I went back to Chicago for a little bit before going to San Francisco, and then finding my way back to Chicago before then moving to Los Angeles, and then from Los Angeles to New York, New York City, from New York City to Brazil, and then from Brazil, I am now here in sunny and hot uh, <laughs> My mother tells me this story, but I don't recall ever saying this. She says that when I was really young, that I told her I'm going to live in Los Angeles. And so she remembers that quite clearly. But I think the point here is that it was always important for me to be able to experience as much of the world as possible. And part of that, I think, and part of probably the Los Angeles was that I, and to this day, I'm a huge TV fanatic. Both of my parents are immigrants from Mexico, and I'm the youngest of three siblings. But my brother and sister are at least six years older than me. There was, a, you know, especially at that age, it's a pretty large gap. And so I didn't learn about American culture through them as much as I did through television. TV was always really important to me, even from an early age, um, socializing me into American culture. And that was really sort of my gateway into the larger world and where I saw my place in the world. Are you still engaged with TV as a medium these days? I can imagine that maybe my research at some point will be directed at how television is developing English as a lingua franca. I have a close friend who is Brazilian who said he learned English watching Friends. It's fascinating. Watched Friends religiously, and that's how he learned English. Fascinating. I wanted to ask you about Brazil. I saw you went specifically for a language Portuguese immersion course. Languages have always been important to me. And it's funny, these sort of life-changing decisions that I make happen very casually through sort of an off-the-cuff conversation that I'll have with friends or acquaintances. And after being at HBO for 11 years, I really wasn't enjoying it anymore. They allowed me to quit, but they also gave me a severance package. A friend said, why don't you take this time to travel? His idea was that I would travel for a couple of weeks or a month. And I transform that into studying abroad and uh, living in Brazil for six months. I had always wanted to visit South America and I figured I already speak Spanish, so why not learn Portuguese? At that time, I was thinking my next stage of my career, I wanted to work 
internationally uh, within the Latin American market. And so I thought it would be um, useful to learn Portuguese. Did you find knowing Spanish helped you transition a little bit to Portuguese? The vocabulary is very similar and the grammar is less similar, but the hardest part about Portuguese is just the accent. So their accent pronounced distinctly from Spanish speakers. Once you get accustomed to the accent, then the languages are pretty similar. So it definitely helped that I knew Spanish. So then you have that experience of languages and learning new languages. And I see now you're studying linguistics. I'm wondering to what extent do you find your experiences with languages, you know, filtering into the classroom, both as a student, but also as a teacher. You know, sometimes people talk about academic discourse as its own language, right? As a new language. And I'm curious what your experiences in learning new languages, how that plays into that. Given that Spanish was my first language, you know, that was the language that I spoke at home. I didn't really start speaking English until I started going to school. And in fact, when I was younger, you know, my mother worked full time. And so there was no one to take care of me. So she sent me to, to live in Mexico with my grandmother and wow. her sisters. Really, my first language was Spanish. And I struggled when I came back. I, I struggled reading. I didn't like that. It made me feel insecure about my abilities. I think as a response to that, I worked especially hard at learning how to speak and how to read. And I've always been very attentive to using standard English. I came into this program thinking that I wanted to help other immigrant children really master standard English. Because I think that oftentimes, if you don't speak standard English, especially in a professional setting, that people think less of you. Mm. The program has helped me understand how standard English really is imbued with a lot of preconceptions and a lot of attitudes about language uh, use, how it can be racist. There's always this tension for me, though, because I think feminist theory also sort of struggles with this. Do you break down the system or do you try to work within the existing system to enact change? I'm more an advocate of working within the system to enact change. And so part of me still really wants to empower students to have a facility with standard English. And I think that's important for them to be successful in our current society. But I think it's also valuable for them to understand that that's one way of speaking. That way of speaking isn't necessarily any better than other ways of speaking. It's just the one that has prestige at the moment. There are languages of prestige and languages of power. Growing up as the child of immigrants, I certainly saw how language variations of language, dialects of language really held power. Different dialects would hold power in different situations. But what's interesting is for my mom, it was also like an accent. She felt her accent prevented her from that kind of level of acceptance and from that level, from the power imbued in the dialects. I think it's, it's dialect, that sort of thing. But I think we could talk about other identity markers in language too, and the way that language kind of functions to use G, right, as an identity kit. Like I found for me, one of the big motivations in studying language was kind of watching my mom and my grandmother struggle and seeing the power 
in language, that was like a motivation for me for why I wanted to study it. Did you find that for you too? Yeah. And I think for me in particular, given the specific dynamics of our country, I didn't want to be confused or mistaken for someone who didn't speak English because Mm -hmm. the common perception is that if you're Mexican, you don't speak English. And if you do speak English, you don't speak proper English. Trying to fight against that perception was always really important to me. I wanted people who I met to know immediately that not only did I know English, but I knew I had a command of the language. So that was really important for me. And that's, of course, a a whole nother layer that I, as a white person, didn't have that, right? Because it was assumed opposite assumptions were often made for me. You sort of hit on this earlier. I wondered if you could say a little bit more about what led you from a marketing role at HBO to writing studies. At HBO, it wasn't fulfilling pushing paper around anymore. And I thought, why am I doing this? And I wanted to have some more impact in what I was doing professionally. And I know that writing can be very difficult. Even though I consider myself a strong writer, it doesn't mean that I don't struggle in my writing to this day. I just enjoy kind of that struggle. I love the way that you put it. We all struggle with writing, but you can come to enjoy that struggle. I thought that was such a great way of putting it. And if you think about what it means, develop expertise as a writer, in some ways it's starting to enjoy that struggle. Because you're a strong writer doesn't mean that you don't encounter the same pitfalls, the same challenges that every other writer does. Absolutely. And so I thought, this is a talent of mine that I can share with people. I'm starting to learn that this is common for a lot of children of immigrants. When we're younger, we don't accept our heritage. It's harder for us to accept our heritage because we're struggling so much to feel American and to feel part of our our home. And it's not until we become older adults that we learn to embrace our uniqueness and where we come from. And I wanted to work specifically with students like myself. I can't begin to describe how distinct the experiences have been going to Wesleyan as an undergraduate and going to Cal State San Bernardino as a graduate student. I have never been on a campus with so many other students that look like me. I didn't really appreciate how that would make me feel. And at first it was, it was kind of shocking because it just wasn't my educational experience. But it's nice to see a community of people that look more like me. Do you think there's a way in which your interests and your studies are influenced by that? If you were pursuing the same degree at another university that didn't have that same demographic, do you think you'd be doing it in a different way? Possibly. I think just looking around and seeing myself reflected can't help but influence my studies. It has shaped my master's. Well, what about in terms of the podcast? I'm so excited to have you as, as the new host. What brought you to this position? I wanted to focus on public and professional writing. Throughout my time at Cal State, I've been looking at opportunities where I could do more professional and public composing or writing. And so one opportunity was working with Professor Hune on the Careers in English website. And then this podcast that I thought would be a real great complement to that because now it's not so text-based, but this is more audio. And even within uh, 
professional public writing, we still focus on multimodal composing. And so I was really looking for an opportunity, a practical opportunity where I could develop skills in multimodal composing. Have you thought at all about the kinds of guests you might like to have on the program? I would really like to interview someone who looks at visual rhetoric, thinking about writing as multimodal. And I I love the idea of talking about writing in terms of more than just traditional text-based, because you're right, more and more and more writing involves multiple media and multiple modes. So I I love that idea. Well, George, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I'm super excited about this new phase for the show. Thank you very much for being on. Thanks. I'm excited as well. How I Write is a production of California State University San Bernardino's Writing Intensive Program. Produced by George Romero. Music by Kinsas Morera and Emmett Fenn. Thanks for listening.